Howdy, listeners, coast to coast, Gulf to Mexico, and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Well, we got a lot to cover today. I'm going to bring you up to speed on what's going on in Arizona, which is blowing up, which is really good. And we're going to go over exactly how to translate, how to transform what had been a pretty decent election system, give or take, back to paper ballots from the machines <laughs> and from, shall we say, the tendency of Democratic Marxists to tamper with the vote, the voters, and the ballots. If you didn't listen to my show last week, you should, because right now, elections in the eyes of Democratic Marxists are all about how many ballots they can amass, not whether there's voters behind them or legitimate voters behind them, or if there's any voters behind them. And Republicans are stuck in the odd, quaint notion that every vote has a voter who's making a decision and casting the ballot. You know, no wonder there's a problem with elections and counts and the weeks and days it takes to count and the ever-changing, you know, tabulations of the vote when the tabulators work, of course. And as I told you last week, it's a net zero game, right? If you suppress the other guy's vote and you magically increase your number of ballots, then you win, even by the slimmest of margins. Anyway, that's going to be one thing we're going to talk about today, and this is going to be posted on the Take Action page, center column, right on the website, on the rightsideradio.com. In addition, let me remind you, I'm going to remind you now, and at the end of the show, the Georgia runoff election, this is really important, folks. The Senate is critical. Treaties, judges, you name it. Herschel Walker. And right now he's a few points behind in the polls, whatever that means. But 34X, that's right. Put in 10 bucks, contribute 340 to the campaign. Put in 50, contribute like 1700 to the campaign. This is a big deal. December 6th is the election. Make a pact with yourself that you will contribute and that you will get your friends in Georgia, or if you're in Georgia, you will get off the couch, you will go vote, you will get everybody else to vote. This is really critical. And there's still a 13X donation, believe it or not. They're still counting ballots in congressional races. Oh, well, gee, listen to my show last week on therightsideradio.com. We're going to go over, in addition, the history of PSYOPs in this country. And this is fascinating because right now we are all well aware, I believe, that there's a number of huge psyops going on engendered by the globalists who really pulled strings of the so-called elected representatives in our federal government and otherwise. Psyops, folks, includes what happened with COVID. You know, we're all going to die except, gee, it was uh, kind of a mild flu in most respects, and the jab. And coming up and to be in your face shortly is the digital currency and the surveillance state and, of course, the ongoing election fraud problem. You know, this doesn't exist. What you're seeing on those counters bopping back and forth on your TV screen, you didn't see that. And what, what you're seeing with these vote tabulations, you didn't see that. Wait till you hear these stories about what's happening in Arizona. And finally, there's an election integrity team from the AG's office down there. And I don't mean the feds, because the feds, the feds love what's going on. So we're going to talk about PSYOPs, what it is. And it's history. This is going to be a two, it might even be a three-part series. It's really important to understand how they are manipulating you and how they are manipulating the masses. 
And if they're not manipulating you, to put it in perspective so that you can talk intelligently to people who, shall we say, are less observant and less believing than you are of the tendencies of the government to, shall we say, feather its own nest with information, disinformation, and censorship of information. And finally, we're going to have some rat-a-tat-tat. We're going to have a little election rat-a-tat-tat, what's happening in Arizona, because it's fascinating. And we're going to have the regular rat-a-tat-tat, which the last two shows have kind of curtailed because of all the election news. And, you know, uh, I guess I could say, (coughs) we're coming back to our regularly scheduled programming. (laughs) Something like that, anyway. Anyway, let's get started. First, our founder's quote, as always, actually two quotes today, and ties right in with the PSYOPs theme of this show. John Adams, no people will timely surrender their liberties, nor can any be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. And then Thomas Jefferson, if we are to guard against ignorance and remain free, it is the responsibility of every American to be informed. As for the ranch story, Let me tell you just a little story. So, oh, this is five or six years ago. And there was a gentleman who was representing, supposedly, the agricultural interests of a big neighboring ranch. And this big neighboring ranch has been gobbling up smaller ranches around it for quite some time. Anyway, we were approached, supposedly, about pasture. Would we be willing to lease a portion of our ranch for pasture for their ranch, you know, on a temporary basis, of course. Come to find out that that was all a subterfuge. The subterfuge was that they were really intent on purchasing or perhaps even stealing some of our leases. And I think it's a perfect example of what we're going to be discussing in this show and next week's show, which is the bait and switch, the psyops of deceiving your adversary, of feeding your adversary certain information within the context of what you know concerns them to use it to achieve a result which is contrary to what your adversary really wants, but exactly what you wish to have happen. The history of PSYOPs. First of all, let's explore what PSYOPs is. Did you know, by the way, they even changed the name of PSYOPs in 2010? Oh, yes, that's another story. We'll get to that next week. And next week, by the way, we're going to be talking about how this has all come of age, so to speak, with technological advances and pinpoint accuracy in terms of a target market and what they believe and what you want them to believe in the end. So psychological operations, that's PSYOPs, they've been an integral part of warfare throughout history. By the way, that's warfare of a government against its people and of governments against governments and armies against armies. And by government, folks, I mean government in collusion with corrupt big tech corrupt media, and corrupt foreign governments. The Swahili, think about them in Africa. You know, before they attack, they would line up in columns, and then they would beat their shields. I'm sure you've seen it in the movies. That was to intimidate their opponents. We have the Roman legions with all their pomp and circumstance lining up in large square columns, sunlight glinting on their shields and swords and spears. We have the barbarians beating drums and screaming to intimidate the enemy. But, you know, this is probably rudimentary and how far we have come on PSYOPs. World War I is really considered the start of modern PSYOPs, using news media, posters, 
leaflets in enemy towns and on the battlefield. And in World War II, it, it moved up a notch. In fact, every conflict has moved it up a notch. Radio, cinema, print, broadcast media was used extensively for the first time in World War II. And there's goals that PSYOPs has. In peacetime, applications of psychological warfare techniques involve influencing and altering an opponent's unconscious and implicit views in order to make your opponent more susceptible to coercion. And that includes isolating opponents, undermining their positions, portraying them as fostering ill intentions, you know, domestic terrorism or conspiracy theories, and forcing them to react to a variety of charges so that their energy is dispersed and their message is garbled. Another goal is the sowing of discord and a sense of hopelessness in the enemy. Not only does this generate, by the way, war weariness, so to speak, amongst quote-unquote enemy forces and populations, but it discourages resistance. And in some cases, it facilitates negotiations and induces concessions. And one of the things that PSYOPs operators began to do in World War II was to exploit what's called confirmation bias. That's become a fine art. We're going to talk about this next week. Which is, and I quote, the tendency of individuals to look for and attach more importance to information that validates their existing beliefs while dismissing or explaining away information that invalidates or contradicts those same beliefs. In other words, folks, a lie that confirms someone's existing views, and this is the way it's been through human history, is much more likely to be believed by the person who is receiving, who's on the receiving end of the lie. And next week, we're going to talk about the attacks that the United States and Americans are under, both from foreign outfits and internally from our own government and ideological wings of that government. PSYOPs has evolved, too, over time. At first, it was kind of like mass PSYOPs, you know, the dropping of the leaflets and beating of the drums in battle, etc. Or Radio Free Europe, you know, beaming out to the masses. Really, indiscriminately, you know, just try and catch somebody's ear and talk to them. But now, now it's something much different. There's both an individual attack in terms of PSYOPs, and there is a societal attack in terms of PSYOPs. I've always been fascinated with mind control. I've done several shows on it, including the history of mind control, MK Ultra, Voice to Skull Technology. Those are posted on the homepage on the Right Side Radio, right in the upper right-hand corner. This week, I urge you to listen to those. It'll give you more foundation. In addition, I'm going to be posting one article with a lot of links in it to a number of different studies, and you can kind of acquaint yourself. This is all great foundation for where we're going to go with this next week, which is what's happening right now, why it's happening right now, the techniques that they're using. As PSYOPs became more and more refined... Through the course of conflict, and primarily under the wing of the military. By the way, did you know that every branch of military has its own PSYOPs units, down to the Coast Guard? Yes, it does. And of course, then there's the CIA, and there's the FBI, and there's the NSA. But that we will get into next week. Over the course of conflicts, beginning really, oh, go back to the Spanish-American War. You know, the mysterious sinking of the battleship Maine and Havana Harbor. And Randolph Hearst and Pulitzer, Joe Pulitzer, were the big media moguls of the time. And they carefully interwove stories that were meant to pull on American heartstrings and begin a war with the Spanish. Ironically, that war with the Spanish 
which, and the Spanish were defeated quickly, left us saddled with trying to kind of govern Cuba. We kind of know what happened there. And it left us with the Philippines. That's how we got the Philippines. And we fought in the Philippines a long war of attrition against Philippine rebels. Some of them radical Muslims, others just disliking the United States or what they viewed as colonial powers. And while we didn't resort to PSYOPs in the Spanish-American War, the Filipino rebels did. It's one of the reasons that it took more than 15 years for the United States military to quash that rebellion. My historical stories, which I've posted on the website for you, the history of mind control, Russia and America began working on mind control. This is mind control over individuals now, not so much mind control over masses. And it's a fascinating story, particularly as to where it's evolved. I also think, this is my personal opinion, that a number of the mass casualty events that you see in today's society, by today's society, the last 20 or 30 years, are induced. We're going to talk about that next week. We're going to bifurcate psyops into mass psyops and individual psyops because both play a role in the eventual big psyops, the big plan, you know, election fraud, digital monies, COVID, COVID jabs, health concerns. I can go down the list. You know the list because you've been listening to it for years now. For instance, the Colorado nightclub shooting or the Pelosi incident. I mean, they jumped on it right away. MAGA supporters hate, blah, blah, blah. But in the end, it's not that way at all. Except people who are inclined to believe MAGA are haters. Well, it's too late for that. They've already planted the seed. It's PSYOPs. What's really interesting is, is that in 1948, there was an act called the Smith-Munt Act, M-U-N-D-T. And basically, it said that PSYOPs operations cannot be used to target Americans. And obviously, this act was directed at the United States military, the CIA, etc. The CIA itself developed its PSYOPs in World War II through the auspices of the OSS, its predecessor. And since my father, one of the greatest generations, served in the OSS, I'm kind of familiar with that. But the Smith-Munt Act, though still on the books, is, <laughs> like many laws and constitutional principles, completely ignored by the left, or by the globalists, or by those having some agenda relative to mass psychosis, then, should we say, believers in America could possibly believe was occurring. As PSYOP was kind of polished and enhanced with both the advent of technology and the abilities to reach more and more and more people and more and more of those people on a really targeted basis, we saw great leaps forward, if you want to call it that, in the Korean War and then in the Vietnamese War, where PSYOPs was also used by foreign enemies against the United States in fomenting anti-war events, perceptions, demonstrations. But something interesting happened in 2018. It was determined that PSYOP forces, well entrenched by this time in the CIA, FBI, NSA, other alphabet agencies, and in every branch of the military, PSYOP forces could be employed, notwithstanding the laws on the books, domestically for what's called CAIS activities. And that's Military Civil Authority Information Support. And in October 2018, hmm... You know, like, gee, a year before COVID, give or take? It was determined that PSYOP forces could be employed domestically, notwithstanding the law, during an emergency 
if an emergency was declared, and they would be employed under the direction of the Department of Homeland Security. The only limitation was, and I quote, PSYOP forces are restricted by policy, and SECDEF, that is the Secretary of Defense, uh, the Secretary of Dense in the case of Lloyd Austin, guidance to only broadcasting and disseminating public information. When authorized for employment in this manner, PSYOP forces utilize their media development, production, and dissemination capabilities to deliver public or other critical information during domestic emergencies. Their mission is strictly to inform. Part of what emerged over time, beginning back with the Vietnamese War and then the wars in the Gulf, particularly the Iraqi War, Iraqi Freedom, was an emerging field of strategic psychological operations called the Battle of the Narratives. And this is a battle of competing narratives. And it targets the cognitive dimension, if you will, our thinking and how we take in information, how we process it, and how we react to it in this huge and ever-expanding information environment. And one of the struggles in this kind of PSYOPs warfare, and by the way, remember, warfare, folks, does not mean just between countries. It means between government and its people, or ideologues and people of a different persuasion. One of the key elements is to shape the environment such that the quote-unquote contest of arms is going to be fought on terms which are to your, the perpetrator's, advantage. Think about COVID, the hoopla over its lethality, which has turned out to be absolutely false, and then how that was used to shape an environment in which the jabs, you know, the safe and effective jabs, were promoted. You'll see a terrific documentary, and it really kind of covers two things. It covers this PSYOPs operation, as relates only to COVID and the COVID jabs. And it also gives you a feel for how many tangents of messaging are employed since the early 2000s and accelerating now into the 2020s. And it's called Died Suddenly. It's by Stu Peterson. It's terrific. Just literally just came out this week. It's posted both under the audio bar on the website and on the COVID page on the website on the right side radio.com. I urge you to watch that video because it ties right in with the message I'm bringing you now on psyops, both individual and mass. And it ties also into information that you ought to know about the COVID injections. Nowadays, with the evolution of psyops over the last, oh, particularly since World War II, and accelerating, I mean, accelerating at in a quantum leap manner, exponentially, and accelerating even more exponentially upon exponentially now. The integrated employment of the core capabilities, and there's new ones emerging all the time, including AI, electronic warfare, computer network operations, psychological operations, military deception, operation security, media, is influencing, it's disrupting, it's corrupting, and it's usurping adversarial, in other words, people who don't think like they want you to think, adversarial human and automated decision-making while protecting their own. Sometime between 2010 and 2014, the PSYOPs masters, <laughs> ever-evolving, decided that maybe PSYOPs wasn't a really good term. You know, it's all a battle of the words, folks, and people's perception of the words. Just think about what the left does. And they renamed all the PSYOPs in all the branches and in the alphabet agencies to Military Information Support Operations, or MISO. 
They briefly renamed it back to PSYOP in 2014, but they returned to MISO, you know, after they did their study groups to see which was less, should we say, affronting to the people that they were PSYOPing. And over that time period, beginning actually in about 2000, PSYOPs was divided into kind of three categories. There was white PSYOPs. White PSYOPs is attributable to PSYOP itself as a source. And it's acknowledged to be kind of an official statement, quote-unquote, or act of the U.S. government. Or it emanates from a supposed source, supposedly associated closely enough with the U.S. government to reflect an official viewpoint. Now, the manual of the PSYOPs, folks, says that this information should be, quote-unquote, true and factual. As (laughs) As we are becoming more and more familiar with, it's anything but. And then there's gray PSYOPs. So gray PSYOPs is really deliberately ambiguous information. And do you know who's in charge of all this? The State Department. Think about Hillary Clinton and how she continues to propagate the big lie, how she continues to denigrate certain aspects of society. The State Department, folks, is like the end-all, be-all of PSYOPs. The Department of Homeland Security is kind of the perpetrator of PSYOPs, if you will, on the quote-unquote civilian level of government. And of course, the military and the alphabets are on a whole nother level. But all of them are integrated and all of them have begun to work together to present a uniform PSYOPs campaign, depending upon what the subject matter is and what the hope for achieved result is. Gray information is information whose contents is such that the effect will be increased if the hand of the U.S. government or American participation are not revealed. Oh, gee, we haven't seen any of that, have we? It's simply a means for the United States government to present viewpoints which are in the interest of the United States government, U.S. foreign policy, U.S. domestic policy, but will be more acceptable to the intended target audience than an official government statement would be. And then they they have their black psyops. Now, this activity basically emanates from a source, government, party, group, organization, persons, that is usually hostile in nature to the intended target. The interest of the government is concealed, and the government has deniable culpability. In other words, they can deny responsibility. And it's used in support of master strategic plans. Covert PSYOP is not really a function of the U.S. military, they say, but it's used kind of as a special operation. Because it's politically sensitive. It needs a higher level of compartmentalization. You know, you're racist, you're homophobic, you're, you're Islamophobic, blah, 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 etc., etc. Black PSYOP, to be credible, has to disclose sometimes sensitive material. But there's a determination made that the damage caused by the information disclosure is considered to be outweighed by the impact of a successful deception. It's generally thought now in this evolved state of PSYOPs that to achieve maximum results and to prevent the compromise of overt PSYOPs, black ops, overt and covert operations, that is the white, the gray, and the black, need to be kept separate. And personnel that are involved in one should not be engaged in the other. However, there's some overlapping. And that's where the contradictions occur. And that's where the chinks in the PSYOPs armor occur. And that's what gets you thinking, which is the last thing, by the way, they want you to do. Speaking of PSYOPs, let's do a little quick political election fraud rat-a-tat-tat, and I'll bring it up to speed, kind of, in Arizona. Once again, these articles are posted in their entirety under election fraud. 
uh, on the website on the rightsideradio.com. I suggest you read them. There's some good links in them also. So it seems that Carrie Lake spent about $2 million of her campaign monies and hired lawyers to actually monitor the elections real-time at polling stations. And there's been a report put together by Mark Sonnenklar, who's one of them. Quote, Overall, 72 of the 115 vote centers, 62.61%, have material problems with the tabulators not being able to tabulate ballots, causing voters to either deposit their ballots into Box 3, spoil their ballots and revote, or get frustrated and leave the vote center without voting. In many vote centers, the tabulators rejected the initial insertion of a ballot almost 100% of the time, although the tabulators might still accept that ballot on the second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth attempt to insert the ballot. However, many ballots were not able to be tabulated by the tabulators at all, no matter how many times the voter inserted the ballot. The percentage of ballots that were not able to be read at all by the tabulators range from 5 to 85 percent at any given time at any given facility on election day, the average ranging between 25 and 40 percent failure rate. So you know Maricopa County officials, you know Bill Gates, the, the board chairman, oh just disgusting. You know the left always says well he's a Republican. Well you know that's like calling Liz Cheney a Republican. But they said that, you know, it was minor, it wasn't more than 70, you know, minor. Polling places had issues, and they were, quote, insignificant in the entire scheme of the election, unquote. Oh, okay. Yeah, an election that for governor was decided by 17,000, give or take, votes. The Son and Clara report from the attorneys finds that 59 of the 115 vote centers we visited, 51.3%, voters had to wait one to two hours at a minimum before they received even a ballot for voting. That's prior to filling out your ballot and trying to get it into the tabulator. Quote, because Republican voters significantly outnumbered Democrat voters in the county on election day, such voter suppression would necessarily impact the vote tallies for Republican candidates much more than the vote tallies for Democrat candidates. By the way, I'll add to that. Most of these problems occurred at precincts that are heavily Republican. So it's a double whammy. Remember my story from last week, right? You decrease costs, the other guy's votes, and increase revenues, your own ballots. In another surprise, the Elections Integrity Unit of the Arizona Attorney General's Office, remember, you have a Republican Secretary of State and you have a Republican Governor right now, received hundreds of complaints. And Assistant Attorney General Jennifer Wright, who's in charge of the Election Integrity Branch of the AG that was set up after the 2020 elections, she has written a really strong demand letter to Maricopa County. It was dated last Saturday, by the way. She summarizes all the malfunctions, the people waiting, voters turned away, and... Quote, these complaints go beyond pure speculation, but include firsthand witness accounts that raise concerns regarding Maricopa's lawful compliance with Arizona election law. Arizonans deserve a full report and accounting of the myriad problems that occurred in relationship to Maricopa County's administration of the 2022 general election. As the canvas is looming and these issues relate to Maricopa County's ability to lawfully certify election results, the unit, that's the uh, election fraud unit, requests a response to the aforementioned issues, and there, she has a long list. On or before Maricopa County submits its official canvas to the Secretary of State, gee, that's Katie Hobbs, the gubernatorial candidate, which must occur on or before November 28th, 
By the way, her letter also says that these Board of Supervisors Chairman Bill Gates, we just talked about, and the county recorder Stephen Richter, another rotten individual, also violated sections of Arizona law. Quote, furthermore, statements made by both Chairman Gates and Recorder Ricker, along with information Maricopa County released through official modes of communication, appear to confirm potential statutory violations of Title 16. This includes ballots that were placed in the secure slot on the vote counting machine called Door 3, being transported in black duffel bags intended for already tabulated ballots. Further, we have received a sworn complaint from an election observer indicating that more than 1,700 door three non-tabulated ballots from just one voting location were placed in black duffel bags that were intended to be used for tabulated ballots. And then one other kind of surprising out of the blue, it started with Cochise County in Arizona. There's now three other counties on board and more coming on board. They are refusing to certify their election results. They are instead doing a complete hand audit of all ballots, how they were tabulated, how they were counted, where they came from, the whole nine yards. And without the counties certifying their votes, the state can't certify its votes. You know, this buys time for Carrie Lake, if she's so inclined, and I certainly hope she she is, to drop the big lawsuit bomb. And it, folks, it needs to be dropped. But you talk about a PSYOPs deal where the Democrats are saying there are no election fraud. By the way, even as Shapiro, the guy who got elected to supposedly to the governorship of Pennsylvania and is the current attorney general, announced indictments, quote unquote, of widespread election fraud and voter fraud in the state of Pennsylvania. Of course, he announced those after the election. Of course. But this is all part of the PSYOPs, folks. This is all part of the PSYOPs. Nothing to see here. Everything is cool. And if anything, by any chance, was just a tiny bit uncool, it was a mistake, and it didn't matter anyway. So move right along. Here's what you can do in your local jurisdiction. Number one, clean up those voter rolls. Now, this is something that everybody can do. I mean, you can get 30 people together, and you can take a voter roll in a small community of 10,000 or 15,000 or 20,000 or in a precinct in a larger city. And you can each take a part of that role, and you can check and see who on that role is dead, who has moved, who is not eligible to vote, who is maybe not a citizen, depending upon what state you're in, whose name has been attached to a vacant lot. I mean, a lot of this stuff is easy to do, and you can do it, and you can get those voter rolls changed, which start cutting off the fountain of potential, should we say, fabrication of the ballots that the Democrats are after. Remember, they're not after the votes. Number two, no machines. The machines go away. You get whatever has to be done at the local level, the state level, and the county level to get rid of the machines in your voting districts. They go away. Paper ballots only. No tabulators, no machines whatsoever. ID and verification of ID, universal. Paper ballots. Paper ballots that are done, by the way, and reviewed to make sure they're accurate, months before an election, as soon as all the candidates and issues are known, so that people can review them. If they want to review a ballot, there's no ballots printed until election day, until each voter walks in, presents his ID, is verified, and they print your ballot for you. And in the meantime, you can view a sample of the ballot online with watermarks, I might add, and know what all the issues and all the people who are running are. Absentee ballots, they go away. Okay, you need special dispensation under my plan to get an absentee or mail-in ballot. You have to be old. You have to be infirm. You have to be sickly. And that means with a doctor's note, not just saying, oh, I don't feel well. 
you have to be disabled. And each of these people, in addition to proving their ID, has to prove the disability or the problem with showing up at the polls in person and filling out their paper ballot. And the protocols for absentee voting means verified ID, signature on the outside of the envelope, in some cases, certified signature. In other words, a second person has to sign. All mail-in ballots, and they will be very, very few, unlike what they have going right now. All mail-in ballots, or absentee ballots, I should say. There are no more mail-in ballots. They must be received on or before Election Day, period. If they come in after Election Day, regardless of the postmark, I mean, we have seen instances of, the, of workers in the U.S. Postal Service pulling shenanigans. Regardless of the postmark, they are automatically discarded. They are not even provisional. You may vote in person only, except for these very rare dispensations that are given for, we'll call it sick ballots rather than absentee ballots. Within one hour of the closing of the polls, every single precinct, every single voting district, every single polling place will report the gross number of voters, not ballots, the gross number of voters that voted during the election that day, election day, and how many ballots they received, and there'll be very few, absentee, according to the strict criteria which I set out, which I'm sure might be deficient in some respects. That's up to each jurisdiction. And if that's reported accurately, you've then set a ceiling on the number of ballots, (laughs) because the number of ballots have to correspond to the number of voters. In other words, ballots have now become real votes cast by real people. There are judges at every polling place, one from each party, two from each party, doesn't matter, as long as all parties and all constituencies are represented. And any judge can protest a ballot. And if the protest is deemed reasonable, it, is, it becomes a provisional ballot. It will be checked at the end of the day. It doesn't change the voter total. It changes the ballot total. It will either be counted as a valid ballot by a valid voter, or it will be discarded and rejected. Every state needs to put in place a statewide election police, just like DeSantis has in Florida. And the penalties, which right now are, they range from ridiculous to negligible, penalties must be stiffened in all states. And I mean, if your fraud involves more than one vote, it's a felony. And if your fraud involves more than X votes, say three, I don't mean 10, because you can get 10,000 people to commit a 10-ballot each fraud and have 100,000 fraudulent ballots which I think we've kind of seen over the last two elections. And the penalties for these felonies need to be dramatic. We're talking about big fines, hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're talking about five to ten years in jail and over X amount of fraudulent votes, 20 years in jail, life in jail. In fact, if you are part of a machine, if you are part of a conspiracy or a syndicate undermining our elections and therefore, should we say, committing murder on the American Republic, I would not be loath to say the death penalty, proper penalty for treason. When the ballots come in, they are put under camera. Every single constituency has the right to have a provost, which sits with the ballots. There can be a Democrat, a Republican, a Libertarian. It doesn't matter, an Independent. So you have human eyes on, and you have a camera on those ballots. And those cameras will also take pictures, videos, of the counting of the ballots, where you can read the ballots along with human judges, to either protest, to reject, or to accept ballots. And every jurisdiction, and there will be penalties for election workers or election supervisors who do not comply, every jurisdiction will report the results of the election for election day by midnight election day, period. 
There are no ifs, ands, buts, or ors. If you do not, well, then you lose your job, you pay a fine, and you may face criminal charges depending upon what's uncovered in the investigation. Each state, each voting jurisdiction needs to have a team ready to go to take over from local administrators who refuse or fail or purposely and intentionally do not follow these edicts and laws. And of course, the left will wail, oh, the cost of hand count. Nonsense. If you did a study on on the expense of machines, tabulating, buying, maintaining, fixing, all the problems, the legal costs. If you did a tally of those costs versus printing a paper ballot and counting it by hand, whether it's through volunteers or paid state or other jurisdiction employees, you will find that paper ballots save money overall. I'm going to borrow a great idea from Sean Hannity. Election day should be a holiday. Let's face it, it's going to be more jam-packed. There's going to be more activity when you limit things to one day. So how about polls opening at 6 and closing at 9 rather than 7 to 7? And with a national holiday, everybody will have plenty of time to get their caca together and go vote, fill out their paper ballot. Remember that this entire list is on the website, Take Action page, center, top. You can also contribute to Herschel Walker and the Congressional Campaign Committee. 34X for Herschel Walker, very important and you can make a copy of this. Remember, folks, and this will be coming up because we're about to get into rat-a-tat-tat. Key to getting this stuff done is your state legislatures. You'll see the same theme in what I'm going to bring you on the rat-a-tat-tats. And here we go. Speaking of rat-a-tat-tat. So the Biden administration, here's, here's a little bait-and-switch psyops for you. They've been shot down by an appeals court and a district court on the student loan forgiveness, but they're still letting people fill out the applications, you know, and maybe register to vote too. In fact, it comes to pass that Biden has allocated funds to universities and students who are doing like work time programs for the government. Registration now includes work time using your tax dollars, folks. But as far as the student loan thing goes, I mean, it's on its way to the Supreme Court, but they're telling people to go ahead and fill out applications and we'll get back to you with emails without even telling them about the court cases? Really? The Pennsylvania House of Representatives has voted to impeach George Soros. He sent him $1.7 million to get elected. Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner. Very good. That's a nice start. San Francisco did that earlier in the year. And in this blossoming of lawsuits, particularly against employers who mandated these jabs, Washington State University has now been sued just in the last week. Nike has now been sued. And the NBA has been sued by basketball players. Good for them. Go for it. And any of you folks think you have claims against an employer that mandated vaccines, particularly if you've had adverse reactions, but not necessarily, the National Law Review has a big article on this. This story is posted on the COVID page on ontherightsideradio.com. There's links to the National Law Review. And Leslie Manukian, he's the president of Health Freedom Defense Funds. He's representing many of these plaintiffs. And because these lawsuits are blossoming, the Atlantic, which, by the way, said that unvaccinated people should be allowed to die and that they were fools and all sorts of other names. The Atlantic had an op-ed this last month saying we should have a pandemic amnesty. You know, all these poor people like Fauci and the Atlantic and the employers and all these people who forced you to get COVID jabs, who, who locked you down, who ruined your 
life, who screwed up your kid's education, who resulted in deaths and disabilities to people who were forced to take the jab against their will, and the vaccine passports and not allowing people into public places, they should all be forgiven. We should have pandemic amnesty. Uh, People aren't taking that too well. You know, there was a recent study. They finally quantified this. 77 million Americans have not taken a jab. And 156 million more Americans have only taken one or two and will take no more. I think they have a problem, and I don't think we should forgive anything. In fact, they should all write checks, and they should all pay other dire consequences. Oh, and now Google and Apple, you know, your friends, remember PsyOps? They're beginning to threaten Elon Musk that they're going to take Twitter off their apps. Hmm, you think they're free speech, folks? Or you think they're for PSYOPs? You know, disinformation, misinformation, and censorship of information. There's an outfit called NVIC, which monitors, again, state legislatures. I'm telling you, they are key. And what they have done to protect their populations in their various states against COVID mandates, passport, vaccine passports, all this nonsense, lockdowns, emergency orders. And this story is posted on the COVID page. But 25 states have now passed some form of protective language that prohibits COVID-19 vaccine passports or mandates. There's 21 states that now prohibit forcing students to get COVID-19 shots as a requirement to attend school. Three additional states prohibit COVID-19 vaccine mandates for students under 12 years old. Think about this, parents. You know, your FDA and your CDC recently voted to include the jabs under the required vaccine protocols for schools. By the way, White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, he said that the re-election of French President Macron a few months ago was a really good thing for Biden. They thought it was great. Well, Macron last week called for a single global order to replace the two orders of the United States and China. That was at the APEC summit. That was just last Friday. Quote, are you on the U.S. or Chinese side? Macron rhetorically asked. (laughs) China is in the driver's seat and they know it. Sounds to me like Biden's getting thrown under the bus. Not that he much cares. And this is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Look in the mirror. Repeat after me. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do. And we will win. Keep the wind at your back. Talk to you next week.